We've been talking about how in Jesus and flowing out of our life in Christ, because, you know, you, you people that have said yes to Jesus are dead. You're dead. You're dead. Buried. Buried in your baptism. You're buried. And by faith, you've now been resurrected in the, in the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus died for us. He paid the price for us. He, dealt, he took all of the sin of the world onto himself and, and dealt with it in his flesh for us. He took it to hell for us. And on the third day, gloriously, as the power of the Spirit enabled, he was resurrected from the dead as, as a true flourishing human being. And by faith, somehow, in the power of that, the Spirit of God catches our lives and we too enter into the new life that we have in Jesus. So you are now... If you've said yes to Jesus, um, you are, your sin has been forgiven. You have been set free from any, any sense of fear of condemnation or death. And now you get to live the kingdom life. You've come out of the kingdom of darkness where you had an old father. He was a tyrant, a, a taskmaster. He was brutal, never had anything to affirming to say. And you've come into the kingdom and you've received a new father, the father of your Lord Jesus the Father who, who affirms you in Jesus, the Father who looks at you through Jesus and goes, top stuff, that. And the, Jesus, through him, not only do we get a new father, we enter into a new story of the kingdom, we enter into a new family, we, we become a part of the body of Jesus. And when I was with you last, we spoke about how in um, Paul talks about this in Romans, how in fact we all belong to each other now, Not sure I like that. We all belong to each other now in Jesus, in the body of Christ. Our part of the body belongs also, you know, our local church. We're a part of all these other local churches. We belong to each other. We have a different name because we have some different distinctives. And that's all beautiful because that's the way God's made us. And so we celebrate who we are as much as we celebrate who the other parts of the body of Jesus are. On um, Friday morning, I, was, I got invited to go to this um, little prayer gathering. And I went to this prayer gathering and there was, there was probably about, I don't know, maybe a dozen, a dozen people in the room up at North Lakes there. And they were all um, pastors from independent uh, Pentecostal churches. Man, these guys know how to pray. I mean, you know, I should have practiced my, you know, should have bought a Honda, and really like wound this thing up a bit and said, hey, Holy Spirit, stir me up a bit because these guys, they know how to pray. And they pray like in the spirit, like as soon as you walk in the door, the first thing is like, hey, Kirk, glad you're here. Come on, get into it. And I'm like, well, all right. Now, I'm, sh- I'm sure at a few moments in the enthusiasm of our, our experience there, I'm, I, we might have left Jesus in, the, in our smoke a little bit and said, come on, hurry up and catch up. But nonetheless, it was a great time together. And I love those guys. I was probably, I wasn't feeling particularly great physically, but by the end of it, there was an empowering of the Holy Spirit that filled me for what was then a very long and demanding day of life and conversation and ministry and parenting and, you know, vocational responsibilities and, you know, all of that sort of stuff of just daily life. I thank God for the Pentecostals, just like... It, there's all sorts of things about other parts of the body of Jesus that we love. Um, and so we belong to a new family. We, um, we value 
prayer. David spoke on prayer. We spoke about the individual. We value the individual. And today I want to talk about we value being a spirit-led people. You know, John Wimber once, if you've listened to his testimony, if you haven't listened to his testimony, bang it in on YouTube, pull it up, have a listen. But John tells of this moment when in his conversion experience, when he was coming out of um, the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus in the lounge room of the people's home that he was in, as that was happening, he had a vision. And this vision was he saw a gentleman walking up and down the streets of Las Vegas, which is where at that time John, John was working in Las Vegas as a um, um, music guy, producer. Thanks, Trent. And um, his band would play there at night. Um, but he was fam- familiar with this character that used to walk up and down the street of the strip there. And he, John saw this guy as he was coming into his... A relationship with Jesus in his in his mind, and it was this guy was wearing a sandwich board, sort of front and back, and walking up and down the streets. And it said on the front, "I'm a fool for Christ," and on the back it said, "Whose fool are you?" And John said, "At that moment, at that moment, he said, I realised my life was no longer my own, and that from there." The story is letting God lead you. Um, We've all had those little moments where God's invited us to the spirit-led life. And I want to touch on some of the dynamics around that. But the reality is to follow Jesus means that you ain't the one leading. Um, And I spoke about this the other week. If Jesus is the centre, you and I can't be the centre. As soon as I want to be the centre, that, that pushes away your opportunity for significance because I want to make it all about me. But we all find our significance when Jesus is the centre and we all get to celebrate how he's made us as he has, um, is when he is the centre. But the reality of a spirit-led life is that we're willing to be led by the spirit. And when Wimber in that moment... When he said he saw the man of who, whose fool are you, he was, he was realising my life now is going to be led by someone else. And when we say, yes, Jesus, or yes, Lord, we're saying, you do the leading, I'll do the following. You be the Lord, I'll be the servant. You be uh, the one who's the maker of all things, and I will follow you. Um, we, we here in the vineyard, we value, we value being spirit-led. The Holy Spirit leads us into everything that the Father's love has for us. There is something waiting for us that's new, it's powerful, and it's life-giving. I remember, um, <clears throat> oh, this is quite a ways back now. But one afternoon, I was walking down this driveway out the back here of the building. And um, as I was walking down the driveway there, I had this whisper in my, I thought it was my ear. I thought it was audible. It was enough for me to go, to stop me in my track. And as as I heard this voice, I heard the voice say to me, Kirk, he will give you the building. Now, when God whispered that into my heart, the Spirit of God was trying to let me in on something that God was up to. 
Now, at that stage, we here at PRV, we didn't own a building. We rented the bit of space that we did have. And then that opened us, particularly me and the leadership crew here, up into a journey of saying, who is he, where is the building, and when will we get, get it? <laughs> when will he give it to us? And we spent time pressing into that space. There was an invitation from God there. And then after a quite a season, then we had this crazy dream. You ever had those crazy dreams where it's like, but then when you wake up from them, you know God's been talking to you. It's just another one of the ways of the Spirit. He gets you when you're resting so that you can hear him as his Spirit ministers and testifies to our spirit that we are the children of God. Often it takes our physical body to be still for our spirit to hear what the spirit is testifying to our spirit. So as I'm sleeping one night, um, I have this dream. And in this dream, I'm out shopping for a new car. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking new car, like brand new car would be good. So we go shopping. I'm going shopping for this car. And I go to the car yard and I find in this car yard just this old Holden car. It was a HR. I knew the model of it. And it looked a wreck. It was a wreck. There was nothing fancy about it. The paint was worn out. There was bog and bits on the side of it trying to hold it all together. There was nothing flash, no flash wheels. It was just an old Holden car. And when I looked inside the windows of the Holden the old Holden car, I, in this dream, I, I, my attention was caught by a few things. The first thing my attention was caught by was the stereo system. It was like, a, like this old kind of um, stereo and then the speakers were like just this hodgepodge of speakers in the car. They were like, there was a, like a fold-back speaker in the back window, there was a little one on the other side, and it was just this mishmash of bits that would come together. But I knew that if you played the stereo, the sound was, like, amazing. Looked a mess, sounded amazing. And the other thing that my attention was drawn to was the accelerator of the car, big old paddle of a thing it was. My attention was drawn to it, and I was like... Whoa, this thing looks like an old bomb, but I bet if you put the foot down on that, this thing knows how to go. And then for some reason in the dream, I reach into my pocket and then I like, I pull out all this money and so I buy the Holden car and there's the end of the dream. So I'm like, Nick, 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 I've just had a dream. And it's, I've only done that maybe three or four times in my life where I've had that kind of, you wake up out of a dream and you're like, God is talking to me. And I told her the dream, and I said, um, I think this is the Lord. He's about to invite us into something here, and the vehicle is just simply representative of the vehicle of ministry that he's inviting us to partner with him in. And it's not going to look much on the outside, and it's going to be made up, be made up of all sorts of bits and pieces, but you put your foot on that thing, and it's made to go. So anyway, within 24 hours of that dream, I get a phone call from the owner of this whole complex. And he rings me and he says, Kirk, his name was Warren, lived at Noosa in a rather lovely house. 
and he says, mate, I want to sell the building and I want you guys to have first shot at buying it. I'm like, Warren, that's amazing. And so before he could really finish what he was even saying, I'm like, you got to know this. And I told him this dream and he kind of put me in the category of crazy spiritual guy. But I was like, I, you, I. so I get off the phone from him and I'm just on the phone to all the team and all the elders. And I'm like, guys, guys, guess what? And we come together and anyways, there was a season there where I actually found someone who had the, it was almost identical HR Holden car. And at the time, I, if you can remember that far back, for about 10 weeks, every Sunday morning, that guy would drive that HR to church for me and he would park it right about, right about there in the middle of the floor. And it was just like this prophetic symbol of like, God's inviting us into something. He's leading us into something. And at the time, he was like, Warren was like, yeah, it's going to be 1.2 million or something like that to buy the building. And we're like, we've got enough to pay this week's bills. So anyway, then began this other journey of partnering with the Holy Spirit who found a broker for us from another part of the body of Christ. And that broker just came and helped us as a people begin to navigate the journey of financing such a project. And in the financing of the project, we had to, as a local church, come up for it with a deposit. And we, as a local church, over the, over the next 18 months, um, I kept asking Warren, just for a bit more time, a bit more time, we'll get there. Um, but over about an 18-month period, we came up with, by the grace of God and the generosity of you guys, $275,000. Just like, blow me down. Well, we bought the old HR as a result of that. But it was a whisper of the Spirit that then he was leading us into something, as a, not just for an individual, but for a people. So God does stuff for individuals. He does stuff for people groups, peoples of Jesus. And then he also does it for regions, where he's calling pe- regions into their true kingdom identity by the power of his Holy Spirit. But just to say this morning, God continues to want to whisper and lead us now, if there was one thing at that, that time I was really nervous about was the whole idea of like, oh, I hate building campaigns. I'm not in for that. I'd rather be seeing people get healed and come to know Jesus. But Jesus then took me on a journey of having to grow up and be okay with talking and teaching and inviting people to come and follow him into that. The life of being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, of living in the power of the Spirit to make us more like Jesus is one where we've been crucified and our new life is in him. And the Holy Spirit wants to lead us into all of the fullness of the Father's love for us in our new identity as his children, walking not in our own soulish power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. The point is this, the Holy Spirit leads us He wants to lead us. He is the gift of the Father's love to lead us. And he wants to do that for our well-being and for our sake. If you've got your Bible there, Romans chapter 8, let me quickly read it to you. If you haven't got your Bible, it should be on the screen. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, Paul writes this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. God's kids love being led. You get that? God's kids love being led. We'll talk about why they love being led in a minute. 
but they love being led by the Spirit. The Spirit you received does not make you a slave so that you would live in fear. Rather, the Spirit that you've received brings about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children of God, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There's just a couple of points there that I want to pick up. And if you've got your Bible, you might want to quickly open it to Luke chapter 4 as well. Um, I haven't got it on the screen there, but in Luke chapter 3, 4, we see Jesus come and get baptised. And in that moment where Jesus gets baptised by John the Baptist, there's this amazing, um, for some reason, the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write down this massive lineage of family members. It's at the end of Luke chapter 3, when Jesus gets baptised. And it says that Jesus, when he was baptised, the Holy Spirit came upon him in a bodily form. In other words, there was some manifestation of the person of the Holy Spirit in some kind of bodily form. It had form. He had form. And he came upon Jesus. Luke saw this. And at the same time as seeing this bodily manifestation of the Spirit coming on Jesus, the words spoken over Jesus were the words of the Father. And the Father was heard from the heavens proclaiming, hey, this is my son, with him I'm well pleased. And then what we see after that is this big litany of lineage that Luke writes. He takes all the time to record Jesus, who was the son of Joseph, who was son of no 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 and it goes on and lists 76 generations. And at the very end of it it says was the son of Adam and Adam son of God. So Except for, for Luke, as he's writing this to his audience, he's trying to drive home a nail, a big one. 76 times he's repeating himself. The issue that's at stake here is do you know whose son you are? 76 times. You know, I, I, I don't know that he... I'm not sure that he did it for the benefit of Jesus or the benefit of us who are trying to follow Jesus and come into the likeness of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. But it's an issue that's at stake. And the issue that's at stake is, who are you? Now, if Jesus is our model of the human life, and, it's our, and we're trying to model our life on his life and in his life. And when he takes us over here into the waters of baptism, 
He's saying, I'm about to drive a stake so deep in you that you will know, that you will know, that you will know, that you will know. And if I kept going, I could do that for 76 times, who you belong to. I remember once, way back in the early days of this church, uh, my old man got up the front and he says, right, today we're going to preach about grace. And someone from the church yelled out, they said, from about row three, they yelled out, oh, again? And he said, yeah, I'm going to preach it till you get it. We're thick-headed and hard-hearted by nature. But by the grace of God, we, if we could humble our own hubris, our own intelligence, our own, it has to be this way, and we yield our hearts to the kindness and the grace of God that heals us, forgives us, and sets us free then we would really know who we are. And we'd stop spending our whole life wondering about who we are. The Spirit-led life, the Holy Spirit comes upon and wants to drive this in with power into the follower of Jesus. You don't belong to some other spirit. You don't belong to some energy force. You do not belong to anything other than the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit in that moment. And he separates you out from underneath every other spirit and brings you into the kingdom, his kingdom. One where the Father says, I love you and I'm most impressed with you. The spirit-led life, it's interesting then if you just quickly jump into Luke chapter 4, the very next thing that happens for Jesus, he's been baptised. The Spirit's come upon him. The Father's made a declaration both to Jesus and to the world and to the forces of darkness. That's my son. I am thoroughly impressed with him. And to this point, Jesus hasn't done much. The very next thing that takes place for Jesus is Luke takes great point in saying the Spirit led him into the wilderness. What about leading me onto the, you know, the yacht of the kingdom of God where I live in prosperity and I'm all healed? And I, no, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is a really important piece of imagery because the wilderness is the very thing that God had to lead his people into as he delivered them out of Egypt, way back in the Old Testament, he led him out of Egypt and where? Under his generous leading into the wilderness. You see, because the Spirit and the kindness and the power of the Father wants to shift things and change things up once and for all in our life. He tried to do it through a people, through a nation, and now he's fulfilled that through Jesus and now invites everyone else into that same experience where the Father shifts our historical wastelands to becoming the fertile ground where the kingdom flourishes. What are the wastelands in our lives that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us into so that he could prove into us the Father's great love and redeeming purposes so that we can actually live life in all its fullness. 
the Spirit-led life. It's interesting that Luke chapter 4 there, Jesus is there. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into the wastelands. And what does he have to do? He has to confront the enemy. And the very first thing that the enemy wants to confront is he poses this question. He says, if you are the Son of God. So the very first thing is the thing that Luke said the Holy Spirit had to 76 times, drive deep. That's the very thing that the enemy will always come for. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Oh, I'm a no one. I'm a misfit. I'm a, No. No, 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 76 times no. You are not that. If you have jumped into the tank of baptism, if you have by faith welcomed Jesus to be Lord, you are not that anymore. That person died in that tank. You have been raised to life in Christ Jesus. You have been filled with his spirit. The spirit-led life wants to take every wasteland soundtrack that we speak over ourselves and behaviour that's manifesting out of that soundtrack and he wants to overcome it by the grace of God so that we can actually live fully alive to God and dead to sin, as Paul talks. The spirit-led life. Wow, have you ever found those moments where as soon as you say, yes, Lord, it's like all of a sudden the fight is on. The fight is, I remember when I was just newly saved and I was on a boat, a YWAM boat in the Brisbane River. YWAM used to years ago have this um, library that floated around the world and took books and literature all over the world. And um, anyway, it was in Brisbane and I was with a group of Christians at the time and I just went with them that night and we got onto this boat and we were on the Brisbane River and I was just standing out on the bow of the boat, you know, it was a beautiful night, the sky was open, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, Kirk, will you give this up for me? And at the time, I was still coming out of all sorts of addictions and addictive behaviours and responses. And he just simply asked me, Kirk, would you give this up for me? And I just said, yes, Lord. It was almost like I was waiting for the the invitation yes Lord but from that moment on it was like those those addictions and addictive behavior addictive responses it was like all of a sudden that stuff went on steroids and it was coming at me a million miles an hour but the spirit was leading me there to take the wasteland and turn it into the wilderness turn it into the fertile soil where the kingdom of God grows where the redeeming work and the resurrection power of Jesus was coming alive in me. The Spirit-led life is one way uh, led by the Spirit. It's a, it's, a, it's a life where we are living under the Father's declared love. More than anything in our culture, we live in a time where performance determines our worth Performance determines our identity, our capacities determine our acceptabilities, and our worth is measured on the basis of how well we can do all of those things. I remember the day that each of my three children were born, and even before they were born, I hadn't seen them, I hadn't touched them, but even before they were born, 
I was, I, was, I was waiting for that moment to be able to tell them in their ear, straight after they were born, these words, I love you. And I tell you, that's been my whole journey as a dad, as a father, is just continually telling my children in a world that wants to tell them that they're valued and loved because of what they can do, not because of who God has made them. And I've just had to whisper that all the time. I love you. It's like every chance I get to drive my kids to school now, I don't get to drive them a lot now because they're all getting licenses and driving themselves, but, which is another crazy experience. But anyways, I... One of the things I always do as they're getting out of the car, I've already said the I love you, but one of the things I always say as they're getting out of the car and they're grabbing their bag and they look in the window, I'm like, remember, you are amazing and you are a blessing. Their whole life they've been hearing this. Now, they've probably heard it more than 76 times, but they need to hear it and hear it and hear it, and so do we. The spirit-led life is one where we live under this immersion of the Father's declaration over us, not just to us, but over us, so that everyone else can see just how amazing God is. When it comes to the kingdom of God, the hope and the good news of Jesus is that there comes a fresh and liberating invitation to live a different story, a more powerful truth where people are freed to live from the experience of being loved by God rather than living in a culture that demands we live for the experience of hopefully one day being lovable. Jesus comes to show us that a human being fully alive lives from the knowledge of being loved. Now, Jesus didn't hear that just one time. Jesus, often told, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus had a pattern. He had a way of making sure he went back and revisited those 76, you're the son of, you're the son of, you're the son of's, the identity issue. And he would often tell his disciples, go away, I need to be alone with the Father now. I need to be with my dad because life is rigorous. It's not easy. These demons are taking a toll on my, you know, human capacities. I need my father to tell me he loves me. And he carved out space for that. Are we carving out space for the father just to be continually saying, I love you. Not because of what you do, but because you're mine. You're my children and the spirit will want to lead you there a spirit-led life wants to carve out time with the father that's why we get frustrated because we resist the work of the spirit i don't want to be with the father that's the wasteland that's the wilderness that needs to be restored that very thing in us that's pushing away the invitations of the spirit the Father's affirming love. When it comes to the kingdom of God, we've been designed and made to live in the power of the Father's declared love over us. And when we live in the, when we live in the fullness of that, we live in the joy of being led. 
The other part is this. Um, I've sort of touched on this a little bit. But this spirit-led life is one of testing, warfare, and victory. Testing, warfare, and victory. And not just one time. I'm talking, you know, it can be five times a day. Testing, warfare, and victory. There's four arenas. I, I, um, I pinched these four little arenas off listening to some teaching of Ken Fish. Great, great teaching on this one. And the four arenas that the Holy Spirit wants to take us into in, in these moments, in the course of every day, and they can just be happening like this, in every relationship encounter, in every business decision, in every parenting choice. It's like, am I, am I ministering to people? Am I living toward others before God and to others out of who the Father says I am? Our identity, our flesh is the other arena where the Holy Spirit will lead you to want to bring great victory. I shared earlier about my own story of just becoming a new follower of Jesus and he wanted to go after the stuff of my flesh so that I wouldn't be beholden to it and it would no longer have the power of idol over me but I could live in the freedom of who Jesus has made me to be. What is your flesh hungry for? What's the appetite of your flesh are there addictions? Are there obsessions? Are there idols? Is it food? Uh, whatever it is, have we, have we allowed the Holy Spirit to actually help us to become aware of the condition of our flesh and its appetites? To the point of, have we come into what David would talk about? King David, my flesh yearns. My soul and my flesh yearns for the living God. The appetite of the flesh has been made to be celebrated in its fullness in God. Not in drugs, not in illicit sex, not in porn, not in making money out of others illicitly and, and, and oppressing others. None of that satisfies the flesh. It just opens the flesh up for more of the same. What you feed, you will gain. So I put, the scriptures say, yield to the spirit. <laughs> Godly wisdom, <laughs> yield to the spirit, not your flesh. What's the appetite of your flesh? Their arenas are there that God is wanting to bring great life and liberty to. The other is also pushing beyond the boundaries of the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's a really good one. Ken talks briefly there about how, the, how you know, Jesus was invited to have all of this. And Jesus said, no, I'm just going to stay within the bounds of Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm not going to give, I'm not going to ascribe my authority. I'm not going to ascribe. This is what you do when you worship. As human beings, you guys get to do this. You ascribe power. You ascribe greatness. You ascribe and give your authority to that thing, it, relationship, whatever, to have influence and authority over you. That's what's happening when you're worshiping. 
And you worship in all of those choices on how we spend our money, how we do relationships, how we engage with each other and how we serve the kingdom agenda. What are we giving ourselves over to? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to shape us? It's like, no, I just want to stay within the boundaries of living for God and his great glory. I'm not going to push past. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be so pinged off at God because of the way my circumstances are around me or the way people are behaving around me. I'm not going to allow that. I'm not going to ascribe power to that to determine to me who I am and how I feel about life. Now that's a poke in the eyes if ever I heard one. That's a serious poke in the eyes. We spend so much of our life determining our sense of well-being, identity and authority on the basis of who other, how other people behave toward us or around us. They're not behaving properly. As if it's your job to be their God. As if it's my job. Jesus is their Lord. But the basis of your well-being is not based on behaviour and circumstance or spiritual situations around you. The basis of who you are in those moments comes from who is alive in you. Jesus Christ, Lord. Remember, we died. He lives. He lives in me. It came in the worship this morning. Galatians 2.20 was spoken over us. Thank you, God. We've been crucified in Christ and now we live in you. Let's live in the bounds of what God's doing. Let's not try and determine how life should be on the basis of how others are behaving. Let's determine how we will be on the basis of who it is that's in us, filling us, fueling us, and empowering us to live every moment to the greater glory of God. And the last thing is vain glory. The whole idea of, you know, if you do, if I give you all of this, then I will give you all of this and you'll be lifted up. Vain glory, self-exaltation, fame, money, power, influence, all of that stuff. And it says there at the end of Luke chapter 4, and then once Jesus had come through these testing moments and the warfare associated with it, it said the enemy then left him for another opportune time. The war wasn't over. Jesus had to deal with this on a daily basis, I believe dealing with the opportune works of the enemy. The spirit-led life is one of testing, warfare, and victory. And victory. It's really important you hear that one. Because you see at the end of Luke chapter 4 there, Jesus then goes back into Galilee and Luke makes this declaration and description of how he came back in. He said he came back in in the power of the spirit. Because what Jesus had done was taken the wastelands and the wilderness of all of humanity up to that point and the spirit upon him as a human being led him through those four arenas and now Jesus was living victoriously in those very arenas as a human being under the power of the spirit showing people this is what it really means to live alive to God. Victory. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Often we spend a lot of our time living with this sense of feeling threatened and in slavery to the enemy. 
when in reality, through Christ Jesus, those threats are real, but that more often than not, they are, they are words and works of the enemy at you. They are not the words and the works of the enemy solely in you, but often they are at you because now he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And he that is in you wants to convert your life to be like Jesus. Romans, uh, Romans 8 talks about this as well, being transformed into the image of Jesus. So the Lordship of Christ wants to take you by the power of the Spirit, make you like Jesus, and wherever Jesus went, he, he was the one that was threatening. He was the one who was threatening. He was not the one who was threatened to the point of yielding his true identity or living in the life that's alive in him, even to the point at the cross where Caesar says to him, don't you know I've got the power and authority to set you free or have you crucified? And Jesus, Jesus, oh my goodness, Jesus, the human being, under the power of the Spirit, 76 times understanding, I know who I am, who I am, who I am. He says to Caesar, you only have that because my Father gives it to you. You only have that power because my Father gives it to you. You see, the people of Jesus are now on mission with the Spirit to be a people who live in power and as 1 John tells us, to destroy the devil's work. He is the one who is threatened. So nine times out of ten, when you are feeling threatened and anxious, it's the enemy, not you. It's the enemy, not you. It's the enemy who is scared of Christ in you. And he's coming against your advancing. He's coming against your yes, Jesus, your yes, Lord. He's coming hard against that because he knows that if you say yes and walk it through, God will be glorified, you'll become more alive and people will get set free. And the enemy hates that. But that's why Jesus came, to destroy that work. He's the one who's threatened. (laughs) And nine times out of ten, we misinterpret that anxiety that we feel around us, that threatening sensation of being a slave to this around us, we mistake that for ourselves when it's actually the kingdom of darkness seeking to bring you into slavery again. When, when Paul says, you have become the children of God. Doesn't mean this stuff's not going to harangue you and harass you and come against you. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a day, or even an hour. But you have been saved into Jesus as a follower of Jesus, the Spirit led life, where the Spirit wants to then take you to see you destroy and dismantle that anxiety, that, um, that, that threatening sensation that comes around you and over you, that you might walk with Jesus through that into life. We are people who value being spirit-led. We love the life of the Father's affirming love. 
we daily, on a daily basis, live with the Spirit being tested in war and coming through in victory. Now, listen, listen. I got to, you know, I need to parenthesis this. Because there will be great failure. We will fail at this. We will trip over, we will fall over, we will make a meal of it. But that's why we live under a loving father who says, come on, let's try that again. Come on. You know, I, I can still remember when my kids went from crawling to try to walk. You know, and they'd get up on the coffee table and they'd hold onto that and then whoosh, they'd off balance and over they'd go until one day they could on themselves grow up into a physical stature of their own capacity and mental capacity to be able to coordinate themselves enough to walk. That's what it's like with us. We, we're on this pathway to maturity in Christ. We're growing up in him. He's conforming us to him. And a lot of the time it'll feel like we're at the coffee table and we've just fallen over. And we'll feel childlike. We might feel silly. We might feel like we've failed. But that's okay. We have a father who said, I love you. Not on the basis of what we do, but because of who he says we are. We're his kids. Oh, man, I just love the life of the Spirit. I, love, I thank God for the Holy Spirit. And we are a people who love being led by the Spirit. Why don't we stand and pray?